Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For as long as pretty much anyone can remember, the story about housing in Canada has been about one thing, rising home prices. Even rising interest rates haven't stopped that. But there's a new twist, the rise of the variable rate fixed payment mortgage. I'm Gabe Friedman, and this week on Down to Business, I spoke to Jimmy Jean, chief economist and strategist at Desjardins, about whether these types of mortgages represent a ticking time bomb. Variable rate fixed payment mortgages work like this. The homeowner pays the same amount each month, whether interest rates rise or fall. What changes is the amount of that money that goes towards paying interest and the amount that goes to paying down your mortgage principal. Jean explained to me that as interest rates rise, the net effect of these types of loans is that it takes the homeowner longer to pay down their mortgage. Effectively, they end up paying more money. And according to the Bank of Canada, variable rate mortgages now account for about one-third of total outstanding mortgage debt up from about 20% at the end of 2019. And homeowners that took one of these mortgages, say in 2020 or 2021, when rates were low, and then have to renew in the next year or two, could be in for a big shock when they see they've barely paid down their mortgage, if at all. As always, this interview was edited for clarity and brevity. Jimmy Jean, thank you for coming on Down to Business today. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to have a conversation with you about the housing market because interest rates have been marching steadily upwards and more and more people are opting for a variable rate fixed payment mortgage. And your team at Desjardins asked, what are the effects? Is this a ticking time bomb? Are we going to see a wave of mortgage defaults? And so let's start there. What were some of the findings? I think this is a very important topic given a very rapid increase in interest rates and the fact that We've had so many people choosing to take variable rate mortgages, uh, especially in 2021, because that was what the incentive was to do. So as a result, we now find ourselves with a lot of those individuals who have mortgages whose term might be five years. So that means they're not going to renew for another, uh, say, two years or three years but for which the payment that they have on their fixed payment variable rate mortgage is not sufficient to cover the interest that's due. So that ends up being accumulated and will at one point become due at the renewal. And we're talking pretty substantial amounts of money whenever that happens. So that's why we refer to it as a a ticking time bomb, uh, because if nothing is done about it, it could really create problems in the future. Right. And I think maybe it will make sense for a second to step back and just start with what a variable interest fixed payment mortgage is, because this has become extremely popular in Canada, but a lot of people may not totally understand what it is. Could you maybe just explain for a second how that works? Right. So uh, typically, when you you take out a mortgage, you have the option of taking a fixed rate mortgage or a variable rate mortgage. So a fixed rate is what it says. It means that the rate that you're going to have is going to stay the same for the duration of your term. When you take a variable rate mortgage, 
going to go up and down according with market fluctuations. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that the payment is going to go up, although some financial institutions do have payments adjusting to uh, interest rate fluctuations. And in this case, we talk about adjustable rate mortgages. But many institutions, in fact, have payment being fixed. And the only thing that happens when interest rates go up and down is basically the term of the mortgage, the uh, amortization of the mortgage that will fluctuate as a result. And, you know, usually given the type of fluctuations we see that are not that important, it doesn't make that much of a difference. In fact, you know, over the past, you know, 10, 15 years, rates have had a tendency to go down. So people taking variable rate mortgages were actually at an advantage. But now we've seen the reverse and that causes amortization to actually go up and people being more in, into that. Right. And to make sure I understand it, if you take one of these variable rate fixed, I mean, as you just said, it, it the term of your mortgage goes up. But basically what it is, is like if they raise interest rates, your monthly payment doesn't change. So if you were paying $3,000 before the interest rates went up, you're still paying $3,000. But more of that is going to pay off interest and less of it is going to pay down the principal on your mortgage. That's exactly right. So in many cases, in fact, in most cases, those who have taken those variable rate mortgages in the last few years, the monthly payment only covers interest and actually fails to cover just the interest that's owed. So what that means is normally what would be a positive payment of your principal, it becomes a negative payment. So you kind of accumulate extra debt. And that's how the all else equal amortization period actually goes up because it's going to take you more time to reimburse all what you owe. And, you know, the extra that you owe is really that that extra interest that wasn't factored in into your payment when when you took that mortgage. So that's what's happening. And that's important to mention. It's really for people who have taken mortgages in the last few years, say starting in 2020, 2021. If you have 15 years left or 10 years left on your mortgage, it's not as sensitive to what we're talking about. So we're not really that much concerned. But when it's really very uh, young mortgages, if you will, uh, that's when there's a sensitivity aspect that makes it worse. Right. If you've just bought a house, you owe more money, you're more sensitive to interest rate changes than someone who's already paid down a lot of their principal. There's also a wild card in all of this, which is that most of these loans have a trigger point such that if interest rates rise to the point that the fixed payment no longer covers any of the principal, if it's all going to interest, then the banks or the lenders may come back and say, we need to increase the fixed payment that you're giving to us each month. And the wild card is that many banks or lenders are actually being flexible and allowing the total debt owed to grow to 105% of the original purchase price, but they could stop being flexible. That's exactly right. We do see that flexibility right now, and that's helping a lot of people to deal with the increase in interest rates. But there's no free lunch, and that means that banks are taking on more risk because effectively, those borrowers are getting more in debt. And, you know, if you were to try to qualify these borrowers again at current interest rates and giving their income, some of them might not even be able to qualify. So is it necessarily prudent for uh, financial institutions to be completely flexible? Certainly, there's a point where this cannot carry any longer. And then the question will be, as we go forward, whether the regulators, so the uh, OSFI, will decide that you know enough is enough and you know set boundaries around what uh, financial institutions can do 
or whether financial institutions themselves will start to say, okay, there's a limit to what we can and want to do. And, you know, if you're not able to make payments as they go up and as you should, then we have an issue. I don't think we're there yet, but that could come to be an issue. And especially if we do have a recession, which is something we expect, and people start to lose their jobs, you know, you, you could find people into uh, trouble. And unfortunately, uh, that will lead to default. So I just want to say, there are a lot of crazy stories about housing, but this one struck me as a symbol of the problem. People pay insane prices because they just want to get a foot in the door of the housing market while they can before prices go even higher. And yet what your report tells us is they're not really getting in at the price they buy at with these fixed rate variable mortgages because by paying more and more interest and not paying down the principal, they're essentially agreeing to pay over and above the purchase price. And so it's just one more reason that housing prices are spiraling out of control. One more reason why the market is not a fully sane, rational market. Maybe I'm wrong about that. You can tell me if I am, but you just mentioned the office of the superintendent of financial institutions is monitoring this. If this becomes a problem for them, what would that look like? Well, yeah, it could look like the office of the superintendent of financial institutions asking banks to get tougher or to add more capital against those mortgages, which are effectively higher risk mortgages. And all else equal, it should actually lead banks to tighten credit to, say, new first-time home buyers that would like to get into the housing market all of a sudden becomes much tougher, even at current interest rates, which already are making it tougher. But uh, given the regulations, it could make it uh, more difficult to people trying to get into the housing market going forward. And that has a direct impact on the economy because of all the activity that's tied to the housing market. Uh, for those borrowers that are in a difficult situation, I don't think that the regulators are going to try to make it more difficult. I mean, that flexibility is still something that's better than if we were to have outright defaults right now, And but that wouldn't tell for banks. Banks are certainly raising their loan loss provisions, but we, we don't want to see that. And right now we have a good economy. So I guess things can keep going. We also expect interest rates to go down. So that will soften the blow for some of the people who are due to, say, renew in 2025, 2026. But at the same time, there's no doubt that we're in a tight spot. And uh, you know, it's not for nothing that the IMS came up and said Canada was a country which is at most risk for defaults, given the debt landscape. Now we're going to pause a minute for a short break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right. And so there's two sides. There's the risk to homeowners of defaulting, but it's a risk to the banks that they're depending on these mortgage payments to come in on a monthly basis. And, and they set aside money called loan loss provisions based on how many of these mortgages they think will fail. Of course, I guess as long as housing prices keep going up, ultimately, my sense is that the banks are probably fine. 
Yeah, that certainly helps. And as you mentioned earlier, housing market correction hasn't been as steep as was feared. And now we're seeing some signs of stabilization. Time will tell whether that continues because we're certainly not seeing a big pickup in bank lending activity. So there's a whole question about how much of that is led by, say, investors or cash buyers. But we are seeing some stabilization. We have very strong demographics. So that certainly helps avoid that situation you referred to where people get underwater. And that's what we saw in the United States. And that's so damaging to financial system. But it's still something that requires banks to be much more prudent in case something bad happens. And that means that we're not going to be able to rely on you know, loose credit the same way we have for the past, say, 13 years. And that's a paradigm shift, I fear, for Canada. Right. I want to go back to something you mentioned at the start of this podcast, which is if you've only got five years or 10 years or even 15 years left on your mortgage, you're a little bit more protected from the rise in interest rates than someone who has 20, 25 years left because they have more to pay off on their principal, so they're still paying off more interest. But that principally means that young people are kind of at risk here, I would imagine, mostly young people. You know, people can quibble about what young means, but uh, you guys also did put out a report on what it means that housing affordability for young people is declining. And I was wondering if you could walk me through some of the reasons why everyone should be concerned about that issue. Uh, well, you know, if we, you, you talk about the younger generation right now, and yeah, 25 to 34, fresh out of school, early start in their careers, and at the age where they typically would be forming long-term relationships, maybe getting married and, and start to have children and buy their first home. Well, you know, you can make all the right moves that you're supposed to, getting that education, securing that, that first job. And it's arguably easier to, to secure a first job right now because of the labor shortages. But you could do all the right things. And it's still very difficult to make that transition into adulthood because of how much more expensive it is to buy or even rent a home now compared to what previous generations have encountered. What's some of the ways that we can see how this is going to affect our economy going forward? Well, for example, you look at people under 30, over half of their spending is dedicated to food, shelter, transportation, and education. When we look, for example, at consumer debt to income, so basically when we include mortgages, we see that this ratio is highest for people under 35. Another thing uh, that's pretty worrisome is that when we look at consumer insolvencies by age, we see that those same under 35 represent a growing proportion of those filings. So what it means is that financially speaking, it's much more difficult now for the uh, younger generation to get a proper foothold and also to manage their finances. Increasingly, you need the help of the bank of mom and dad if you hope to buy a home. But unfortunately, not everybody subscribes to that bank as a member of that bank. And, you know, you have people that maybe have are newcomers to Canada and from countries that are poor. And they're actually transferring money to their families back home rather than being able to benefit from some kind of windfall. So it exacerbates existing inequalities. And what we know is that in Canada, it's much more difficult to accumulate wealth over the long term if you're a renter as opposed to if you're a property owner. So all sorts of issues really going forward that are embedded in that issue of affordability if we don't get that fixed. So there, there's so much to unpack. I'm going to pivot slightly and ask you to look ahead 
interest rates could come down. And I wonder if you think there could be another huge run up in housing prices, similar to what we saw in recent years, or if you think something else will happen in the market. And finally, what are possible solutions to fix our housing affordability problems? So the market, it's, it might be stabilizing, but is it on the verge of a, a massive run-up, uh, the same kind of we've seen in 2020, 2021? Uh, we don't think we're at that point because it's still very difficult for people to qualify. You still need to be able to pass that stress test at 200 basis points above the contract rate. And for some people, that means being able to demonstrate that they can tolerate mortgage rates 7.5%, 8% right now. So it's, it's very penalizing. So Maybe there were some cash buyers, people sitting on the sideline. They saw the market stabilize and they're jumping in. But chances are that this won't last very long. And indeed, we're seeing that in markets like Vancouver and Toronto. We're not seeing that, for example, in Quebec or other markets. So there are nuances there. So I think it's more a period of maybe stability because the market is undersupplied rather than the market just taking off. But uh, to your question about interest rates, well, the big talk of the day right now is actually further rate hikes after that pause the bank again initiated a few months ago. We're looking at the data and, you know, the data is not convincing by way of inflation coming back to 2%. So right now we think the bank Canada is in for at least one more hike. We think it's going to hike in July. It might continue so in September, but it's going to make everything uh, more difficult. And that's also why the housing market will struggle to take off from here. Now, next year, we do expect that rates will start coming down, but very gradually and at a slow pace compared to what we've seen in prior recessions. So what that means is that it's going to become a little bit more affordable, but the affordability improvement that we're expecting is not going to fully offset or not even close, I should say, offset the deterioration we've seen in both 2021 and 2022. 2021 was because of the big run-up in prices and 2022 was because of the big run-up in interest rates. We don't think that it's going to be enough to offset that. So the market's going to be, I'm afraid, uh, permanently difficult to access from a property standpoint. So that speaks to the notion of, of building, building more, but it's also important to build what Canadians are going to need. You know, the young generation, the ones I was talking about, trying to start a family, well, you know, condo living only works for, for many of those families for, for uh, you know, so much time. At some point, you need something that's probably larger, that's probably more conducive to intergenerational needs, that kind of stuff. And, you know, so there needs to be a reflection about the, the diversity of housing that, that communities are going to need and build houses that people are going to be able to stay in for the long haul. The single family home is pretty much what has answered that need over the years, but it's become extremely unaffordable. So there needs to be more construction of, of housing units that both would densify cities, but would also address that basic need. If we don't do it, well, what's going to happen is Canada's going to build a reputation of unaffordability, and we're going to struggle to bring the, the newcomers that are helping us address our labor shortages. Right. I really appreciate you coming on down to business to talk to me about this, Jimmy. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. That was Jimmy Jean, Chief Economist and Strategist at Desjardins. Thank you to my guest and thank you for listening and supporting the Financial Post down to business, sharing episodes, rating us, everything helps. Bryce Hall composed and performed the original music you heard on the show. He executive produced this episode and he also designed the down to business logo. Pamela Heaven, Victoria Wells and Noella Ovid provide web support and editing. I'm Gabe Friedman and I'll return with more episodes 
But until then, you can find your business news at financialpost.com.